Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday afternoon. Kind of wiped out. It's the middle of the Shabbos of Thomas. So, put my time in the morning on the second lecture I wrote up. A little bush, but I know that uh, it's good to try to get the parsha out in time for people overseas because of the time change. So, I'll see what I can do today. We're looking at Parsha's Pinchas today. And I just want to say, it's my pleasure to say that uh, this podcast is being. Uh, sponsored by the Tarragon family, Ari Tarragon's wife, Esty. Ari and Esty, very nice people. And um, they're doing it in honor of uh, Lee and Jerry Schwartz. Uh, it's all, Leah's lucky, she has good kids. <laughs> Everybody knows they're, they're excellent children. Um, anyhow, look at Parsha Pinchas, which I think is always. Uh, sort of the type of thing that people look at one aspect of it. We all know the story of Pinchas. They killed the two people, and then God says at the beginning of the parsha, "He knows and loves Brisi Shalom." Everybody knows that. We don't know what that means. But everybody is Brisi Shalom. Happens to be, uh, Pinchas is um, the only person in the Bible that we know the most about his descendants. You probably know what I just said. You have to read the book of Ezra. Ezra is a descendant of Pinchas. Really? That's interesting. I didn't know that. Huh? If you look at the beginning of Ezra, they take the trouble to tell you. The Gansa Yichas. There's nobody else like that in the whole Tanakh. And that's because once upon a time, and this is the theme of the book of Ezra, you're not Jewish unless you have documentation that you can prove yourself all the way back. Had to be, at least this is how they say it. I wasn't there. So you tell me you're Jewish. I want to see, uh, you know, uh, as we would say today, notarized and based in, that yes, you're Jewish and you're son of so-and-so, and do your parents have their documentation, and the other one has documentation. Who goes right there today? Honestly speaking, very few people know today. I've said this before. No, no, no. I mean, really no. They're Jewish. I don't know. You know, a couple of doors back, some of us perhaps have a yichas brief, and then there's more than a few doors back. You know, I get it. But nobody can actually trace themselves uh, before the Middle Ages. It's pretty good if you can go back to the Middle Ages, although there are people that can do that. I could do that. There are people that can do that. And some people even tell you they go back to Rashi or something like that. And it's possible to ascertain that. It really is. Uh, but that's it. You don't know where Rashi comes from, so you too well, Rashi comes from WML. That's what they say. As soon as you tell me that's what they say, it's a different story. You know? But, you know, are you calling me a liar? You know, like that. We can't prove it. And that wouldn't have stood up for a second in a time of the base of Migdash and, and Ezra. And so, in the book of Ezra, they said when they came the second time to rebuild the second base of Migdash and restart Israel again, Ezra wanted people who had documented Yichus or not. The Mishnah says that Ezra brought Asar Yuchsin, including Mamzerim and this and that and the other, you know, 
Nesinim, but they were very preoccupied on the Yichas. Now, the reason I'm going through this whole disquisition is, if you look in the book of Ezra, which is about ten chapters, and broken up into two halves, the first six chapters, and then the last uh, three or four, so it says that this guy named Ezra showed up after the base of Mishra was rebuilt. Many people make the mistake of saying that the second base of Mishra was built by Ezra and Nehemiah. It's not actually true. If you take the trouble to look at the two books, you'll see that they physically showed up somewhat afterwards. Ezra himself coming with a whole group to settle in Israel about a half a year after the second temple was built. But how is Ezra described? And this is the book he wrote. It says in chapter 7, Achar during a little bit after the rebuilding of the second temple when Artaxas was the king of Persia, the following guy made Aliyah. Ezra ben Sroya ben Azariah ben Chilkia ben Shalom ben Tzolek ben Achituv ben Amariah ben Azariah ben Marayas ben Zerachi ben Buzi ben Buki ben Avishua ben Pichas ben Eloza ben Aaron Akarin Arush. Hmm. So you can trace yourself back to, 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 uh, to Aaron and to, and to Pinchas. That's interesting. So Ezra, now you can start your uh, engines running for this Shabbos. You're looking for some dry Torah. Make some connection between Ezra on the one hand and uh, Pinchas on the coin on the other. So this is his grandfather. And there's actually another place where there's another few people mentioned in between. The point of the matter is that Hinnani Nosan is Brisi Shalom. I'm going to give you a breezy shalom. could mean, you know, that you'll have all these uh, traceable descendants. I'm not sure. I know one thing, uh, that it's an ambiguous phrase. I'll give my covenant a peace. And I know the usual stuff. I'm not going to the usual stuff. Uh, covenant of peace. Of all people, the Radak, I think, I think, uh, takes this, uh, to me, like immortality. He doesn't see the words I'm reading into it. That's what I think he means. And if he doesn't, that's what I think. Because I'm always interested, just because I'm a Tanakh guy, among other things, when the same person is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. Pinchas, our hero, is, of course, mentioned in this week's Parsha. He's mentioned occasionally in the rest of the Chumash, true. For example, next week he will go with the army to fight Midian. Uh, Pinchas is mentioned as the peacemaker at the end of the book of Joshua. When, I'm, talking about, I'm talking now explicit references in the biblical text. Uh, in the time of Yeshua ben Nun, at the end, after the wars are over, and Yeshua dismisses the two and a half tribes, they say, go back home to the Yarden, and they do, and then they build this big Mizbech, and the other tribes freak out, and they think it's some kind of Vodazar thing, and they're about to declare war and wipe out. The nine and a half tribes are tra- about to wipe out the two and a half tribes. But Pinchas goes as a sort of uh, conciliation commission, investigation commission, and he ascertains that it's not Nebuchadnezzar at all. It's something quite different. And he stops the war. So that's Pinchas mentioned Beferish. Um Mind you, it doesn't say Pinchas is one of the two spies, the two Maraglim, even though I've spoken about that. I mean, the Chazal say that, but it doesn't say that in, in the Pasuk. And then there's another place that Pinchas is mentioned. I bet you you don't know what I'm talking about. I bet you don't know what I'm talking about. It's in Pelegish Begiva. And uh, in Shoftim, when they have that famous story where the tribe of Benjamin was wiped out by the other tribes, do you recall that? I just said before that Pinchas prevented the extermination of two and a half tribes 
but it was because he was able to ascertain that the reason that they were about to launch a war was a mistake. So that's a different thing altogether. Suppose I told you this country is about to attack America and the coal country mobilized and gets ready to go for nuclear war. And then it turns out then, oh, it's a mistake. Okay, it's a little embarrassing, but we can, we can skip the war. So that's what happened in the book of Yeshua. On the other hand, in the story of Pelagius Begiva, when the guy's wife, his Pelagius, was gang-raped by these Benjaminites, and the Benjamin tribe wouldn't give up the uh, killers, I mean, that was a uh, grounds for action. There was, you know, uh, it's not a misunderstanding. It really happened. And so, if you at all remember, I don't know who I'm talking to. If you're Tanakh people, you know the Book of Shoftim, you may possibly recall that um, the, all the tribes gathered together and they went to war against Binyamin. And the first two days, Binyamin beat them with a lot of heavy casualties, too. So even though they're totally outnumbered, the Benjaminites defeated the invading army of the rest of the tribes. And then it goes to the trouble to tell you by Yishalu B'nai Yisrael Hashem. This is in chapter 20 of the book of Judges, if you're interested. They came the third day. And you see, the first day they went and they asked the Urban Tumim, it's the right thing to do. And God said, go fight, and they got beaten. And the same thing happened the second day. And they obviously realized that they were doing something wrong, the tribes. And Vayalu, Kol B'nai Yisrael, B'cholom, B'yavo, B'yisrael, B'yivku, B'yishishom, they had a whole from session. And then it said that they had the Aaron. Uh, and then Upinchas ben Aaron And who was running the show? No, who was operating the Urbatum as we would say today? Pinchas. Right? And so when they said uh, when they asked the question this time, they got the right answer. And then they proceeded to be victorious. And they wiped out the tribe of Now, it's interesting. It says, Pinchas ben Olazaran, that's our hero. Uh, when did this war take place? There's always been a controversy. If you read the book of Shoftim, Pasha, then the story starts when it starts after the death of Joshua. And it seems to be a continuous narrative. And, you know... Uh, Osniel Vakna shows up, and then after Osniel Vakna, the next guy was an Ehud, and the next one, and so on and so forth. And at the end, at the book of, uh, end of the book of Shoftim, uh, after you finish with the last of the judges, which I think is Shimshon, I believe, then um, you have two stories of scandals. One is the Pesel Micha, and the other is Pelagish Begiva. In fact, the book ends on Pelagish Begiva, that war where they wiped out the tribe of Benjamin, or almost. And the Pashim shot goes like this. Uh, it happened at the end. In other words, it happened subsequent to Shimshon, subsequent to Deborah and Yiftach and all these other judges. It was sort of like what we would say today, the end of the period of Shoftim. That's 300 years at least. So that's interesting. Yeshua died, then started the story of Shoftim, and blah, 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 blah. And then you get to, Pes- to Pelagos Pagiva. A couple hundred years went by. Pinchas is still alive. He's still the Kohen Gadol, let's put it that way. He's still the Kohen Gadol. And of all people, the Radak, who usually is a rationalist, you know, the Radak is a, uh, was a high school teacher, the Radak. I'm serious. Uh, he was a, uh, a rationalist, although he always very respectful of the Chazals, you know. So, so here's what I think happened, but here's what the Chazals say. And he says over here, Radak, uh, why is a Pinchas ben Elizabeth and Aaron a Kohen? 
If I didn't tell you it was the same Pinchas, you won't believe it. Because the story, the Pelagish you give, it took place 300 years later. And this guy was still the Kohen God operating the base of Migdash. So that's a uh, Guinness Book of R R R Records, longest lasting Kohen Godel, if you go with that shot. Uh, which is the plain meaning of it. Well, on the other hand, uh, because of this Pusik, I think uh, the Seder Olam says, no, 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 the story Pelagish would give up. And Pesamicha happened at the beginning of the book. They're out of order. Because the way to read the book of Shoftim is you have the death of Joshua, and then you have a whole bunch of mices of judges, you know, Osneo and Dvorah and all that, Gideon. And then, when that's all over, they tell you two incidents, which really happened at the very beginning. Okay? But they weren't exactly involving people who were Shoftim, because there's no Shofate who shows up in the story. Of the Pesalmicha, and there's similar to his no show fate who shows up in the story of Pelagish Forgiva. That's the way they do it. So the classic Seder Olam Chazal Talmudic approach is to say it's out of order. I, I'm not sure why. I think, I think it's because of this Pusik. Because what's Pencha's doing there? And he should be dead by now, a couple hundred years. That were, I mean, you can only say that somebody lived hundreds of years. You can, no question about it. But usually we're reluctant to do that. You know what I mean? It strains credulity. So if it happened, it happened. But if there's a way of reading it, you don't have to like pull that, then they prefer it. So I think that's probably the origin of the idea that the story of the Pelagius would give up is out of order. It happened at the very beginning. If it happened at the very beginning, it's a different story. In other words, we have Pinchas in our this week's Pasha killing Zimri and the Cosby. And then when a month or two, Moshe's dead. That's how it works, because the book of Bamidbar, after Chukas, is all taking place within a few months of the death of Moses. And then Joshua takes over and is in it for approximately 14 years. It never says exactly how long Yeshua was around. Don't say that. But the general idea you get, especially this Yeshiva Shekavshu, Yeshiva Shekhoku, is 14 years or approximately. So then, Pinchas is only 14 years older. No. Very uh, 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 plausible. And then uh, comes right away, or shortly thereafter, the story that Pesamich and Plague Shagiba. So Pinchos would be, let's say, for example, roughly it's 20 years after the death of Moses. No, no, that's possible. Very, very um, logical. And that would work. You understand? Uh, by the way, the Frumis like it, uh, like Rabbi Victor Miller and people like that, because then where you can get a you can get the only positive from spin on the story of Pesel Micha Pelagishvigivo. Because otherwise, forget Pesel Micha. How could Jewish people go and act like Saddam? They raped that woman to death, and you know the guy chopped her body up afterwards to protest, and they wouldn't uh, prosecute the, 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 the perpetrator. Like, what the heck is going on? And you know, if you if you want to lose and say get over it, people were pretty low madrega in the time of the biblical period. That's the Pashup Shab. Sending what else is known? You're not surprised. But if you say, from vain, as a whole school of thought does, oh no, the people in time of Shoftim were unbelievably high madriga, all of them, and therefore it's not low talking that stuff like this could happen, then the way of getting around this story is to say, well, it happened at the very beginning. It was like shakedown crews. The Jews were brand new to Israel. They're not sure uh, how to operate. 
And in that original environment, which they had not yet got rid of all the Canaanites, a couple of bad uh, incidents happened, but never happened again. Never happened again. So in other words, there was a rape, and it's unfortunate, and it could happen, and it's deplorable. But since the old colleagues were wiped out the tribe, it never happened again. You know, that, that, that approach. Anyway, so you see that if Pinchas is around for a couple hundred years, which is, again, the plain meaning. The plain, when I say plain meaning, it's not logical meaning. Logically, somebody doesn't live uh, rationally in only 300 years. But the plain push-up shot, it says, Pinchas ben Elizabeth Michael is still there. And it says that this story is written in such a way that it's coming after all the other events in the, uh, in the show. The said a push-up shot leads you to somebody who lived for hundreds of years. This, in my opinion is the source of the idea of Pinchas Eliel, I think. Right? I could be wrong. I'm just sharing you a uh, thought I had. Because uh, everybody's heard Pinchas Eliel. And, you know, all the parts try to figure out what does that mean. Does it mean it literally? Does it mean it figuratively? You know, I think the morale is something that says the same type of character. Whatever the case is. Whatever the case is. Um, that, which, by the way, opens its own can of worms because then you deal with the question which they used to love to deal with in the 15, 16, 1700s, which is, is Elio a coin? If he's identical with Pinchas, he is a coin. His toast is on it. There's, you know, all kind of uh, stuff on this. But why, Epis, do you see the Pinchas be Elio? Well, he's around 300 years later. So he's around. You know what I'm saying? The only problem is, what do you do then with, um, you know, uh, the Elio stories? Uh, let's put it this way. Why is... Alien, whoever, coin. I mean, Pinchas should still be the coin, right? You have to come up with some kind of a theory that says, at one point, Pinchas retires. You know, like the emeritus, right? He retires. Because the Rakhonim, after mentioning the Tanakh after Pinchas, it's a mess, a chronological mess, as far as I, I know. Somebody has a better interpretation, but I, I don't believe it. Uh, but nevertheless, you find this very interesting, striking business of Pinchas Elio, and it's also, of course, based on the idea that um, they're both zealots, both Kanaim. Uh, you know, Kano Kanisa, Hashem Tzvos, Elio complains about uh, Sinai and Harkhorib to God. Um, you know, all about that. And, uh, and according to the Chazal, Hashem says, you already with Kinesa by this and Kinesa by that. You know, in those, you're always a Kanaim. You're killing people. You kill people by Zerim and Saul. You kill people elsewhere. I don't like them all. That's the whole famous colloquy between uh, God and Elio, it's in, in, in uh, the Gemara and in the Midrashim. But it's all based on the idea that Pinchas Elio have both Kanaim. You understand? Now, um, let that be. Uh, the image of Pinchas as a Kanoi, whatever, is uh, reinforced uh, by the fact that in next week's Parsha, he will lead the army into battle. Um, you know, this is Parsha's Pinnacles, but next week is Matos. And in this week's Parsha, immediately after Hashem says, I will give him a blessing of peace, God tells Moshe, get ready for a war against Midian. And, um, The only thing is, that story, that story is interrupted by a census, which probably means taking a census for the army, if they're going to have a war against Midian, and then following it up, War against the Canaanites, I'm not sure. But, you know, why do they take the census that's in this week's Parsha? 
I'm going by Pashup Shah. <laughs> Sounds like you're getting ready to figure out who would go battle, although next week they only choose a thousand from each tribe. So it's confusing. At least to me. You can only tell you where it is to me. And in next week's Pasha, it's going to say, that Moshe dispatched them an army of 12,000, 1,000 per tribe to go and fight against the Midianites. And he sent Pinchas, right? Lots of Isn't that interesting? And what did Pinchas take with him? Trumpets. That itself is kind of interesting because, but that's not so hard to figure out. There is one of the six and thirteen mitzvahs. When you go to battle, you're supposed to blow trumpets. Shine. And clay Kodesh. Why is Pinchas taking the clay Kodesh? What does he mean, the clay Kodesh? You know, so I'm just opening the art scroll here, the heck of it. And he says, the art containing the broken uh, tablets of the Shibri, the Shibri Luchas. And also the coin and the tzitz, apparently. And some other things like that. So that's a whole discussion or maybe next week. What exactly you take the clay Kodesh in the battle? But the Chazal say in the Sifri that um, Pinchas will actually lead the man into battle. Okay? They'll lead the man into battle. Acharai, you know, like the uh, classic generals, which, you know, no, there's not, not armchair strategists, not people sitting in the background and you go, you go, but they lead by example, which is, which is kind of interesting. So Pinchas is going to, you know, be like a, leading a charge, as it were. And uh, that's where it is. Here's the Sifri. Asher, Lokaderch Shacher Mosim Shem Shalvin Chayos, Pain Bone Lubsof. Not like other generals who send elders to fight. Akshem Shalsa Moshe, Shalsa Yoshua, Shem Shalsa Pinchas. But rather, you have to do like the three leaders mentioned Moses, Joshua, and Pinchas, who led from the front lines. So Pinchas is a Kohen with the uh, Tits and all the other things. Fighting a battle. That's a, a, quite a remarkable uh, image over there. Quite a remarkable business. Now, of course, he wipes out. Or they, they, they hit on, um, on Midian pretty massively. Now, why? Because Midianites sent the girls. Okay. But there's a famous Rashi. I'm sure you know this. It's a Gemara in Sota. Which says that I want Pinchas there, God says, because Pinchas should take vengeance. Uh, what vengeance is there? So... Uh, all we know about Pinchas is he's the son of Elizabeth and Aaron but we also know his mother, we sort of do Elizabeth and Aaron so the Pasham shot is that the father of Aaron uh, of, of Pinchas whose name was Elazar, Elazar that's the guy who took over after Aaron died uh, and then Pinchas took over after Elazar died so, this uh, Elazar married a, a girl named Bas Putil. It's a Jewish name. But the Chazal, very famously, went to Darshan it. And apparently, there are two schools of thought. I mean, from long ago, it's in the Gemara. And one identifies Putil with, with Yisro, which is interesting and strange. And that would mean that Yisro is the son of Elazar, but is the grandson of a guy. Right? And specifically, Yisro. Assuming that Yisro was not Jewish at the time. Assuming Yisro was not Jewish without getting in that can of worms. That's a whole problem by itself. The different midrash and the fight with each other. Um, okay. And there's, I'm sure you must have learned this in school. When he killed Zimri bin Solo, they said, you know, this guy was uh, uh, 
Mefatim Agomla Vodazora. He knows you got a nerve, you killed a Nasi, you come from a bad background yourself. Like we say today, your grandparents were, uh, you know, uh, not Jewish or idol worshippers or worse or something like that. But there's another school of thought that says like this. That, uh, let me put it this way. When do we find the Midianites mentioned earlier in the Bible? And the answer, which is a good question I'm asking. And the answer is the sale of Joseph. The Chirsi of Hamadonim, Machurusel Paro, Machurusel Mitzrayim, Love 45, Sweet Paro, Sartabachim. So the brothers threw Joseph in the pit, and then some Arab traders came along, and then they sold him to Midianites. The Midianites then took him to Egypt. That seems to be the way it's, uh, it can work out. So, what's that got to do with Pinchas? <laughs> right? So they said, well, Pinchas is the grandson of, uh, of Joseph. And Pinchas is the grandson of Joseph, so therefore he's taking revenge because they uh, were bad to Joseph by selling him as a slave. Huh? What's that? And uh, the Gemara says, Rashi quotes him, that, you know, when it says, Benim knows Putiel, that Pinchas' grandfather was a guy named Putiel, that could be Yosef. Pit pit beitzahara. He uh, rejected, let's say. He spit on the on the Yitzhar. Meaning he, re, he, he resisted the temptation, he resisted the seduction of the wife of Potiphar. That's what that means. That's a very interesting world of, of ideas that opens up. And the, uh, a lot of classical Farsh and Rashi go with that. But, you know, in other words, like the morale or somebody will say, see, I mean, you get this as soon as I say it, I assume. You get it right away. Yosef resisted the sexual uh, temptations. But the Midianites, uh, the, the Benos Midian, you know, the Benos Moth, were able to seduce the Jewish soldiers so the guy who needs to do the tikkun is the guy who comes from Yosef was able to have that kayak to fight against Arias, you might say. Yeah, something like that. Uh, incidentally, if you want, if I was fearing ice, as they say, and I was engaged in a job of doing a Dvar Torah somewhere, which I'm not, you could say same thing by uh, Pelagius Vagiva, because they're gang rape. You know what I'm saying? There's always something connected with Arias, and therefore Pinko shows up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, the Joseph story. But it's uh, kind of weird. A lot of these Midrashim, when you follow through, these Agatha ideas, at least in my mind, they're kind of weird. I'll tell you why. If Pinchas is a grandson of Yisrael, that's a Halbatzara. If he's a grandson of Yosef, literally, then what it means is, Mibnos Putiel Isha. That It's just strange. I don't even know how it works. Elazar, who is the son of Aaron, Married the daughter of Yosef. Maybe it means the granddaughter. It has to be, right? Yosef was not around at that time. And his daughter could be, she'd be very old. So it probably means a descendant of Yosef. It's okay with me, but then you have really a funny situation. Why? Because um, that means Pinchas is, listen closely, Pinchas would then be uh, Egyptian by blood halfway. In other words, he would be descended from <laughs> he would be descended from Asia's Potiphar, because Yosef married an Egyptian princess named uh, Osnas, and uh, she was the daughter of Potiphar, you know, and Potiphar and his wife. Putting aside the questions about him being a eunuch, um, you know, uh, Yosef Osnas plus Potiphar going out. Uh, 
By the way, for the Egyptologists out there, Pinchas is the name of it. It is an Egyptian priestly name. I remember that from the archaeology. Pinchas is an Egyptian, you know, an ancient, I don't remember what. You can look it up if you care to. You'll find it on the internet in a second, I'm sure. Pinchas is an ancient Egyptian name. Um, as is Moshe. You know, Moshe means the son, S-O-N. But anyway, really? So Pinchas is a descendant from uh, Potiphar, or Mrs. Potiphar, because her daughter from Osnos. That's kind of strange. I mean, that, that this becomes a tangle of pathology over here. Knows. So the guy who's descended from the Potiphar, his wife, is the one who kills out the Midian, it's, it's, it, who sold Yosef to slavery in Egypt. It's like a, a highly complex uh, uh, a plot. And you could come back at me and say, no, you're wrong, Cash. You want to go with the shot that Osnos was not Egyptian. But rather, Osnos, as the famous Medrash goes, from Pirkei was the daughter of Dina. Right? From the rape of Dina came a baby. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Most of you know what I'm talking about. And by the time the whole story's over, that's who marries Yosef. So she was adopted, in other words, by Potiphar. But but she wasn't, uh, you know, but really she's Jewish. Really? That's great. So then you come from Canaanite blood. Because what do you mean she's Jewish? The mother is Dina, the father was Shechem. The rape of Dina was Shechem. So one way or the other, with this Benoz Putiel business, we end up saying, why did God go and pick um, Pinchas, the Gemara says? Because we want somebody who can avenge what was done to Putiel. To Putiel. Assuming Putiel is Yosef. Interesting, but you end up with somebody who is, um, let's put it this way, again involved with Arias. So, it's like Arizal, you say, he's Masaka in the Arias, or something like that. Keep going. Then he has a, a grandson named Ezra. And what is Ezra associated with in the Book of Ezra? Sir? Also fighting against the Shiksas, because that's the whole second half of the Book of Ezra. He shows up in Israel right after the Second Temple is built, and he discovers... Listen closely. He discovers that there's a massive intermarriage rate, particularly among the Kohanim. <laughs> right? Particularly among the Kohanim. As a matter of fact, the Kohen Godel's children married um, foreign women. This is, I think many of you are probably familiar with that. That's the famous Haftarah. It says, by the way, excuse me, it says these words explicitly in the book of Ezra. It's not a message. It says that the two sons of Yoshua ben Yotzedek, the Kohen married Goyim, and Ezra compelled them to divorce them. So that's weird. Listen closely. A descendant of Pinchas has to come to Jerusalem like a thousand years later or more to make sure that, the, that his cousins, the other Kohanim, who I assume are not descended from Pinchas, but I could be wrong about that, because we don't know who Yishim and Gama, uh, what is it Yishim and Yotzedek comes from. Uh, that would be fascinating, would it? Now I give you something to talk about at Shabbos. Could Yishim and Yotzedek, whose children married the Gam, are they also descended from Pinchas? Then you see one branch of his descendants has to come and be misakin, what the other branch has done. We end up with this with this tangle over here, uh, just by following through a little bit on the Chazals, uh, of who... Pinchas is, and why he was predisposed to act at specific times in history the way he did. The one piece that I haven't worked out 
in my head in any way is not a case of a rise exactly, but a case of the girl. And perhaps you're guessing what I'm talking about. The story of Yiftach, now this is not in the in the text. The story of Yiftach is that he said he's going to kill his daughter first thing he came out of the house after the battle. And, which makes no sense whatsoever, but that's what happened. To this day, I haven't uh, heard a good shot. I've heard some shots. Having a good one. Uh, that's that's Yiftach's daughter. The famous story in the Gemara is, and I, I'm sure you heard this, that he had made a netter, and Pinchas was the coin at that time. And Pinchas could have been Mater in a netter. But Yiftach stood on his dignity and said, I'm the Shofet, let the coin cuddle come to me. And uh, Pinchas said, I'm the coin cuddle, I'm bigger, let the Shofet come to me. And between one and the other, the poor girl got ruined, right? got killed or whatever, whatever happened to her. Uh, again, it's not a case of Arias, because it's not. But it, but it's weird. It's a case of, case of a girl. right? And uh, according to some interpretations, she was not permitted to marry. Instead of the father killing her, he just kept her as a, a nun or something like that. She wasn't allowed to marry for the rest of her life. Which, again, is like a strange story. So what's this business with this Pinchas? He's popping up in this way, one after the other. And Eliyahu, if he's Pinchas, is zealous, well, mainly, uh, Eliyahu's involved mainly with the Zoram, not with Arias. Correct? Am I right? Yeah, the stories of Eliyahu do not involve Gil Arias, which is interesting. You know they involve Kanaos, that's true, and um, more importantly, for my purposes, I told you, you're telling me Pinchas is alive 300 years later, the Redox says. And that would be the meaning of Hinnaninosis Prisi Shalom. This is a good argument in favor of the identity of Pinchas Elio, because Elio never dies. Hinnaninosis Prisi Shalom. They give him an eternal peace, meaning eternal life. Because the story is that Elio is not reported to have died. In the book of Mlochem, Mlochem Beis, he's walking with Elisha, and he says, I'm going to be taken today. And then he shoots up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Right? Uh, now, what does that mean? Uh, heaven is not, that's not literal. There, uh, I mean, there could be a fiery chariot. God can create whatever he wants. But you can't go to heaven in the sense of a chariot taking you to a place because heaven is not a place. Agreed? And all the Mephoshim say this. I mean, everybody knows. This is the basis of why we say, Eliyahu, Anavi. Why do you always hear about Eliyahu? Why do you hear about Elisha or somebody else? Because he never died. So therefore, if you tell me, oh, this guy was in trouble, Elio never came and showed up and helped him, it's plausible because Elio didn't die, so he can go back and forth. He's a switch hitter, you know? He can be in this world, he can be in that world. He was translated to heaven. That's the technical term. He didn't die. Um, really? He didn't die? Well, he didn't need those things to be So this Pinchas Act and, uh, had the most remarkable spin-out and... Uh, some of the lines of investigation in the Agatha sources uh, lead you to very uh, interesting um, conclusions, very interesting observations. So I throw all this out at you with the idea that this will give you something to talk about on Shabbos. Uh, it's, of course, the three weeks, so not going to the regular Torah, where they would talk about this a little bit, but instead, about Eliyahu, but instead we got to do Yermiyahu, uh, Dibri Yermiyahu, and uh, that's a, that, that, that's a different uh, mahalach. That's a different 
area of investigation. But I wanted to concentrate on the Pencha story and the leads, the, the um, I'm sorry, about the curious and, um, you know, uh, mysterious leads that you see if you follow up a little bit from the Pencha story. Anyway, with that, I wish you, for the rest of the day, an easy fast, and myself, and a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.